gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Source Material Comics Podcast. This is our coverage for Spider-Verse. We are jumping into the massive 22 part, I'm saying 22, the checklist has 20, but I'm going to count the epilogues. 22 part crossover for Spider-Verse. But tonight I said I need to bring somebody on here that knows Spider-Man and would like to talk about Spider-Man because we, we're getting excited for the movie that's coming out and we want to read something something that may you never know maybe ties into it a little bit so who did i reach out to i get to sit down here this evening and talk to my good buddy benjamin j cologne about spider-man once again you've been on here before and talked spider-man with me and this is by far the largest i know we did maximum carnage in the past i know tonight we're just doing nine issues no six issues six issues of the core story of spider-verse that happened in the comics but like i said this was 22 parts Parts, sir. 22 parts. And I know you and I both read these, but let me just first say, welcome back to the show, Benjamin J. Cologne. Yeah, we reunited the band. We, uh, we're we back talking Spider-Man again, and there, right. it's it's not a Spider-Man party till, uh, till I show up, so. <laughs> That's right, buddy. Also that until, right. hold on, let me see if you can get this on audio. There we go. Ah, yeah. What, what are we drinking? Uh, this is a uh, six point brewery from uh, Brooklyn, New York, in honor of uh, in honor of uh, Peter Parker and most of the uh, Spider Men. I had to drink a New York beer today. I love it. I love it. Well, I've got the Great Value Purified Drinking Water sitting right here beside me, so I will be joining you. <laughs> yep. You and I have both watched the movie, which I think wasn't a movie titled Spider Verse uh, that came out, the animated movie. So Spider Man uh, Into the Spider Verse. Thank you. So I know you and I both have watched that. I remember when I watched it, I I loved it. If anybody knows me, who's listened to this podcast before, I'm a big fan of any type of alternate timeline or alternate reality, uh, especially used as a plot device. And that checked some boxes for me. I love the animation style. I love the fun of that movie. I assume it's got to be. I mean, this this story we're going to get ready to get into at least inspired that to happen, wouldn't you say? I'd be very surprised if it didn't. The movie's a very, very simplified version of this story, of, of yes. the concept of this story. It also had the benefit of taking a lot of the things that didn't work about this story. And there are a lot of things that don't work about Spider-Verse and uh, being able to do away with them and keeping the stuff that does work and improving on it. We'll see some of that too but there are you know some seeds of of what uh, into the spider-verse ended up ended up picking up that are planted in this story you know the concept of there being a multiverse in the first place and there being like alternate universe there being a different type of spider-man in every alternate universe that certainly plays a part also just and this is something I had. We're going to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, the two different experiences I had. I read Spider-Verse, the very like core six part series in Amazing Spider-Man as it came out. Mm-hmm. But I uh, but I only read those six issues as as they came out I didn't read any of the tie ins. Uh, I very briefly read like, you know, bits and pieces of uh, Edge of Spider-Verse. I have the Spider-Gwen Edge of Spider-Verse number two that everybody wants. Mm-hmm. I read that. I enjoy all. Uh, most of that stuff but i didn't read it i didn't read a whole lot of it at the time i'll tell you right now it's a much different experience when you read all the tie-ins versus when you don't 
to the point where like I will be pointing out probably uh, certain issues and certain tie in series that sh- that really should have been part of the core Spider-Verse series. They were that important to the plot. And it's really disappointing that they were probably not paid as much attention to because they actually do a much better service to the main story if you read them than if you don't. It fills in a lot of necessary blanks. It's not all just supplemental material. And a lot of the thread that runs through a lot of those tie-ins and a lot of those side series is just what goes into being, you know, being a Spider-Man or being a Spider-Woman or being a Spider-Person of any kind. And a lot of the same themes that we all know and love about Peter Parker are pretty common through all of these different Spider-People. And you get that much more reading all of the, the related series than from the core story that has to focus on, you know, it's not, not the most coherent plot in the world, but it has to focus more on the plot and a little less on the characters. The problem with that being is that this is a story that has dozens, if not hundreds, of different characters in it. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. They're definitely bringing spiders that I have never heard of, and I'm sure that was the point. There's quite a few that I'm familiar with, and luckily a lot of the plot revolves around those ones that we are. Specifically, you know, Spider-Man, Peter Parker, Spider-Man that we're used to from the 616, Silk, uh, Spider-Gwen, Spider-Woman, Scarlet Spiders, which was, uh, I I really liked reading that. I know we'll be... Scarlet Scarlet Spiders is exactly what I'm talking about. Like, all all of that should have been part of the main story because... Yeah, dude. All three of those issues were heavily like heavily influenced the, the plot to the point where like I'm reading this I'm like why why was this a mini series I know dude what I ended up having the most fun with yeah yeah it's just Spider-Verse and mm-hmm. I was thinking is it Spider-Verse team up no it's Spider-Verse uh, both of them real both of them have their moments but you're uh, the ones you I know you told me about were in Spider-Verse, Spider-verse yeah I really like some of those and those were just those were throwaway things that so was kind of like the much needed levity I think because this is a really like very intense possible world ending thing that's happening to spider the all the spiders across all the multiverses uh, there's not a whole lot of humor involved here as as quippy as uh, peter parker the amazing spider-man is there's not a lot of that in this book it is them trying to escape a very very dire threat but spider-verse was just enough to kind of like lighten the load and make me go okay this was a needed break this was something that i needed to get in here and kind of read and just some of the stories they were were they were just there to read and enjoy and you didn't have to worry about Moreland and the inheritors coming after him so although they did show up oh <laughs> yes <laughs> and they they ruined they, they wrecked ruined. some they wrecked some havoc <laughs> yes they did now did you say you did get a chance to read edge of going into this Edge of was really just kind of a collection of, of uh, different like one-off series. I think, you know, behind the scene, like editorially, I think they were testing the waters for, you know, new characters to see what worked and what didn't and what got responded to and what didn't. And we all know what got responded to. Edge of Spider-Verse number two introduced uh, Gwen Stacy as Spider-Woman. Um, and that kind of took, you know, took Marvel Comics by storm for a good year or two before, you know, and, you know, she got her own mini, her own ongoing series it was very popular i even think like in the six issues that we read i think maybe it was in one of the ancillary or the the side books but i remember they're like uh, yeah that's spider gwen that's everybody's favorite like that's they, mid- they make multiple references to that throughout <laughs> like dan slot was was acutely aware of that while he yep. was writing the story absolutely it's pretty funny like this is a <laughs> this is a series that gets meta a lot 
Yep. And you know that you know then it starts getting meta for its own meta-ness like it's <laughs> it's metaception. I don't know. Um <laughs> it was a weird phenomenon seeing that because it it goes to show first of all how how popular, you know, Spider-Gwen ended up being. Second of all, how quickly that popularity just like took off and just hit like lightning. To the point where, you know, Dan Slott was able to fit it into his scripts for like chapters in the story, not mm. too much long, you know, much, not too much long after that. It happened immediately. It was crazy. It was a miracle that I got actually got a first printing copy of that of that book. I'll say this too, like it's not artificial, like it's earned because that Edge of Spider-Verse 2 uh, issue is very good. That's the good. story's very good. The art's very good. Um, you know, the ongoing, you know, just, just struck a nerve with some people. It got a lot of, like, young girls reading. They had a tie-in, like, uh, like single with an actual, with an actual like, punk pop band that, um, that recorded under the name, you know, Mary Janes, which is the name of Gwen's band in, in the comic. Oh, really? Um, okay. Yeah, they did, like, a whole multimedia crossover. I think some issue, there was, there was at least one or two issues of the comic that were packed that were packaged i think with either a cd or maybe even like a 45 record oh wow a <laughs> 45 record would be pretty interesting to see yeah. wow but it's i think it's earned and and you know just like miles morales like you know gwen as a uh, spider woman kind of came into her own and has her own little place in the marvel universe now and she's a very beloved character and that's pretty cool like i i also have a soft spot because i was i i bought uh, all the spider uh, like the early spider gwen comics i was buying them for my nieces uh, as they were coming out, so we were kind of reading them together. I oh, bought my cool. my oldest niece still has a Spider Gwen hoodie that I bought her. You know, that, oh, nice. Yeah. It's so it's like a sentimental favorite for me too. One of the things that was shared with me because I wasn't reading it, but uh, I was talking to a friend of the show, Evan Bevins. He he had just read Spider Verse, but he was talking about some of the stuff that happened in Edge of, and he's like, one of the things I really hated was the fact that Moreland kills Spider Man and his amazing friends, uh, which was the cartoon. Yeah. Now, Evan, of course, this holds a soft spot in his heart, and it, to see them get killed really hey, broke so, him up. Hey, so do I. <laughs> it, hey, I grew it, up on that show, too, man. That's, yeah. That was- there's a scene. I'm pretty. I'm sure you have you. You've read uh, Punisher Kills the Marvel Universe. Yeah, I own it, and I think it's okay. been a while since I read it, man. Well, but I know what you're well, talking. yeah. There's just a part at the beginning where, like, you know, uh, Punisher. You know, the Punisher sets a trap, and and I have issues with that series anyway. But the Punisher sets a trap and ends up like mowing down Spider-Man with a machine gun. Spider-Man just looks up and asks him why, and the Punisher just says, "Cause somebody had to be first. Oh, oh. <laughs> That's, that's wrong. That's kind of how I looked at it. Like Jeez. somebody had to be first. So, so is that what Edge of is pretty much doing? Setting up Moreland and Spider-Man kind of button heads together, uh, or is there more to it? No, that actually starts happening a little bit. You start seeing stuff with the Inheritors. There, there's a couple of pro, uh, Spider-Man, like Spider-Verse prologues in Amazing Spider-Man, um, in the the two issues immediately before it. There's a team up with. There's a kind of a throwaway team up with. With um with Ms. Marvel in those issues, and then as like a side, you know, there's short stories, and then like the second half of the comic starts giving you like the prologue stuff from Spider. I think that's where that took place. By the way, I think one of those issues is where you know the Amazing Friends uh, incarnation of uh, Spider-Man got uh, got killed. Mm-hmm. They they didn't they left the dog. It was really sad. Uh, oh yeah yeah yeah. I remember. I think he sent me the panel. And, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. But yeah, those that's where you first start 
start seeing, first of all, that, uh, you know, Moreland's back and that there may be, you know, that he's got a new idea and he's got a new thing going on where he's, you know, he may be tracking down like other spider people mm-hmm. in a sense for that. All right. Well, Spider-verse was Edge of Spider-Verse was just introducing a couple of new new or a couple of some new some familiar characters because the very first issue was Spider-Man Noir and it's a good issue and mm-hmm. you know, uh, Spider-Man Noir had uh, you know like a mini series not too long or uh, I'm not exactly sure exactly how long earlier you know before Edge of Spider-Verse that um, his mini series came out but it was pretty popular and well received so he got an Edge of Spider-Verse issue Spider-Gwen of course like I said you know Penny Parker who has the gigantic spider mech that's, you know, controlled by her and, and, you know, the spider she has a mental bond with, who we see also in Edge of Spider-Verse. She has an issue in that series. And as the series goes along, you actually start seeing, you know, the, not every Spider-Man makes it to the end of their respective issue. Yeah. But you also start seeing the ones that do make it are, you know, make it because they end up getting recruited. And you okay. see things are starting to get set in motion. They, they, they did not a terrible job of sort of building it up slowly that something's going on. Spider people are dying. Something's got to be done you mm-hmm. know, uh, to, to protect themselves and there's something even bigger going on and there may be even something bigger going on beyond that so by the end of edge of spider-verse you kind of get the idea that uh you know all of these spider people are being targeted they're gonna have to fight back so you know somehow or they're gonna be exterminated okay all right i know spider-man i think i blanked out on the whole the whole totem thing when that oh, was going oh, on I... so I mean, it's mentioned clearly, and obviously now I have a great idea as to what's going, uh, what what a totem is. But uh, I'd love to get your at least explanation as to what's going on there. You would have needed to uh, read J. Michael Straczynski's uh, first arc on Amazing Spider-Man. It was called Coming Home. J. Okay. Michael Straczynski and Armita Jr. That that's the first appearance of Moreland, who's created by JMS, and it gets into some of what we see here, you know, in Spider-Verse and and certain characters that uh, come into play later you start seeing and they you you eventually see why they're important okay um the other the other thing is uh the other there's a spider-man crossover called the other where which was co-written by jms but it was a little bit like maximum carnage in that there was a couple of different writers and a couple of different artists across a couple of different titles Mm -hmm. and jms was kind of the guy that was trying to keep everything coherent and everything kind of consistent from issue to issue sometimes it was most of the time it wasn't so it became very overlong very kind of convoluted story that really didn't advance a whole lot beyond where it started from Mm. whenever i've heard the other referenced the storyline the other uh, it's always a mixed it's a mixed reaction there's people that will usually what i see is people saying uh, stay away from it it, um, had, it had a lot of potential but it was yeah. it was executed terribly let me do the creative team here for the first two issues uh, that speed. <laughs> our creative team uh it's going to we're talking amazing spider-man number nine and number ten all right so part one and part two of spider-verse and it's written by dan slot art by olivier coipel so we we kind of talked about the totems a little bit, but uh, the main things you need to know are the other, which is Kane Parker. 
Can you help me out? Is he a clone or what? What is Kane Parker? He was one of the Peter Parker clones. He, I'm 99% sure this is the same Kane from the Clone Saga of the 90s. Okay, all right. He played a huge part in that. He was responsible for a murder that Peter Parker got got blamed for uh, back then. That kicked off that that kicked off the very beginning of the Clone Saga, where we find out that uh, Ben Riley, who will also be seeing a lot of, mm-hmm. was still a, around. Without having to go into all of that, because that's a whole other gigantic story to have to explain. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Kane was was uh, one of the uh, clones of, of Peter Parker, one of the sort of, you know, less successful clones, depending on how you look at it. His powers sort of manifested themselves differently than Peter's. I've heard it explained that his powers are just like extremely exaggerated or extremely like, you know, uh, amped up versions of Peter's. Okay. Like like his spider sense is so strong. He can actually see visions of the future and that sort of thing. Um, what a, and, can I ask real quick? Like when we see him in this story, he almost has this symbiote type. Uh, it almost looks like symbiote powers. I know that it, there's no mention of the symbiote or anything like that, but like he He's got spikes coming off of him sometimes. Uh, and I'm like, is that like a costume thing or is that him? This is where I don't have all the information to be able to say for sure, but I can okay. kind of hazard a couple of educated guesses. In the storyline, the other that we talked about, that we, that we just mentioned, Peter himself actually goes through this kind of, you know, if he was a mute, if this was X-Men, he, it, you know, they call it a secondary mutation where he okay. starts manifesting all these other weird powers that he never had before. They did away with a lot of that pretty quickly just because I don't think it really went over too well. But I have a feeling that Kane went through kind of the same change at some point and sort of and he they ended up keeping those abilities for him. OK, that's well, my yeah. guess. I'm sure somebody that's read that's that's read, um, you know, uh, Scarlet Spider because Kane had a whole you know couple of series prior to this that, uh, you know, more of that may have been explained. I'm sure somebody who's read it can can correct me. I mean, the important thing we're taking away from here is that he's not just a clone of Peter Parker. Uh, he's he at least he doesn't. It's not just, you know, hey, we got two amazing Spider-Mans here. He's definitely got something different with him. And as a matter of fact, one of the things that I think is mentioned is he is a the reason they call him the the other, at least in this prophecy or or that the inheritors are coining. It, he is a being unique to any dimension dimension. So I assume that this is he is the only one of himself in any I guess in any of the spider-verse and as Um, we as we find out pretty quickly i hope this isn't spoiling anything too far in advance but we find out pretty quickly he's probably the only person who can so like by himself kill an inheritor yeah dude he he (laughs) takes care of business the other part of this prophecy is called the scion all right and that's important we'll get to that i promise all right we'll learn who the scion is but i do want to talk about the bride and that's Silk. now i know nothing of this character i remember seeing silk uh shortly after spider gwen if I remember correctly, in my own mind, that was Silk. Do you know if Silk was prior to or after Spider-Gwen? Prior to, but not too much farther before. Okay. Um, Silk, you know, Cindy Moon is uh, her real name. We first see as uh, as far, to the best of my knowledge, the first time we see her is in the very first issue of this volume of Amazing Spider-Man. Like, where uh, Spider-Verse starts with Amazing Spider-Man number nine. She appears in Amazing Spider-Man number one. And the way it it goes is she's supposed 
supposedly bitten by the exact same spider in the exact same room at the uh, shortly after Peter Parker is. So she also gets uh, spider powers. They're a little bit different, but uh, she supposed you know she supposedly gets similar powers to Peter. Going back to coming home, you know where JMS introduced uh, Morlin and the concept that Morlin seeks out specifically beings with with animal like powers, mm-hmm. like humans with with animal like powers, but he sort of becomes partial to like spider people at a certain point during that story arc you know there's another character uh, named ezekiel who basically figures out peter parker's spider-man who ezekiel is like a multi-billionaire and he offers peter the opportunity to make himself safe from being detected by Morlin, who can detect him wherever he wherever he may be mm-hmm. um he offers him you know shelter in this you know this fortified shelter where Morlin would never be able to find him Peter rejects his offer, the whole power and responsibility thing. He can't sit by and, and allow the city to get destroyed Ooh. because Portland's looking for him. Knowing so he, that makes things that happen later in this series a lot more important to me now for yes. some reason. Because that, yeah, I didn't realize that this, that mirrors some stuff that's happened, that happens here later. But go ahead and continue. Yeah. So from what I remember, I didn't read up uh, on the early Silk issues, but from what I remember, uh, Ezekiel offers her basically the same deal and she accepts it and she stays she stays sheltered in one of his buildings for 10 years before she finally leaves and tracks down Peter Parker okay and, uh, which leads them to you know not too far from where we find them in, in uh, Spider-Verse okay that makes sense because she mentions quite a few times uh, throughout the series uh, how she was sheltered uh, mm-hmm. for quite a while and I didn't you know I had no idea about her backstory or what was going on there so it's like Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt only with you know <laughs> she's alive damn it all right well let's go ahead i'll go ahead and uh, read my oh man one two three i'm doing two issues here and this is probably the longest synopsis i've ever wrote for two issues but we're going to get this done let's see 10 15 here we go that synopsis is coming up but first let me talk about amazon music if you're looking for a good platform that can fill those musical needs amazon music has you covered If you head to getamazonmusic.com slash W2M network, you can get a free 30-day trial where you can check out over 70 million songs. That's getamazonmusic.com slash W, the number 2M network for that free 30-day trial. In our first issue, we get our introduction to some of the main players that are in this story. We meet a ruthless family called the Inheritors, consisting of Moreland, a villain who is hopping to different realities, along with his brother Damon and Sister Verna feeding off the life essence of the spider-powered super beings of those dimensions and killing them. We also learn of the being called Master Weaver, who is responsible for maintaining and overseeing the, and I put this in quotes, the web of life and destiny, and is able to open portals to the different realities, but has been enslaved by the inheritors to do their bidding. Deimos wants to journey to the 616 to feast on Peter Parker, the amazing Spider-Man. But Moreland is hesitant as he has been beaten by Peter in the past, correct? Correct. All right. Meanwhile, other spiders from other realities, a lot of realities, converge on the 616 to warn Peter and his friends of the incoming danger of the Inheritors. They they head to Earth-13, a safe zone protected by the Peter Parker of this universe,
question. I own this what if issue. The Peter Parker of this universe that has embraced the Enigma Force, giving him cosmic powers. When they gather, Peter is told that he is the greatest spider of them all, as he was one of the only ones that was able to beat one of the Inheritors. When they find out there is another group of spiders gathering to face the threat of the Inheritors, Peter puts a team together to go find them and bring them into the fold. There's only one problem. The other team is being led by the Superior Spider-Man. Ben, I'll, I'll turn it over to you. Do your best to kind of give him an idea of who the Superior Spider-Man is. Oh, my God. We got a tangent again for another <laughs> this is another side story. No, this is something I, I actually did want to want to make sure we, we made clear. Superior Spider-Man is Otto Octavius. He is in Peter Parker's body in, uh, I want to say, well, I don't want to get the, the year wrong, but it was it was right around um, Spider-Man's 50th anniversary. It was, oh, my uh, amazing, amazing Spider-Man number 700. 700, yeah. Basically, Dr. Octopus brought, you know, kind of brought to fruition this plan that he'd been having actually probably since around Spider Amazing Spider-Man number 600, which I have both of those. This, like, years-long plot to sort of take control of, of Peter Parker's body as his own body is uh, dying from, uh, you know, years and years and years of superheroes beating the crap out of him. Um, <laughs> yeah. His body's breaking down, so his last-ditch effort to survive is putting his consciousness in Peter's body, and he gets away with it. Hey, yeah, does. Um, he sort of absorbs a little bit of Peter's consciousness, which kind of gives him a little bit of a streak of hero of heroism. But he's still at the end of the day, Dr. Octopus, and he's still kind of ruthless. So he approaches all of his superheroing as a supervillain would, which is uh, which leads to some very not good things happening mm -hmm. with him in the Spider-Man uh, identity. There's a point in in, uh, in Superior Spider-Man. Superior Spider-Man goes on for about two years with Dr. Octopus as the main character character uh replacing amazing spider-man peter's consciousness is kind of floating around here and there mm -hmm. but doc ock is kind of the main character there's a point in time where he kind of interacts with spider-man 2099 he at some point gets you know through a series of events and and you know various comic booky contraptions he gets zapped into the 2099 future okay it is from that point that everything in Spider-Verse that he's involved with happens. And then at the end, he winds up, you know, literally like seconds after he left back in the same place. Yeah. This is actually not an alternate universe Spider-Man. This is like just sort of time displaced Doc Ock. Yep. And I actually kind of like, you know, uh, and by the way, like I, in my notes, I kept right because uh, there are two different nicknames that they use for, for Superior Spider-Man just as a shorthand. One is Spock because it's Spider. Oh, OK, uh, I got and it. Then, and then the other is Spado, which is Spider. Uh, uh. <laughs> so it's one or the other. I went with Spock just because it's it's short. It's uh, shorter. Yes. But uh, he's actually a really good character to have in this series because he's he's trying. He has the exact same goals, but he has completely opposite ways of going about doing it so it's very interesting dynamic and it actually makes for some of the better parts of this series when you have basically doc ock trying to you know trying to lead in you know an army of heroes but he doesn't really know how to effectively be a hero so yeah yeah it's kind of lacking in that department and of course when actual spider-man shows up these two are facing off you know they're going to butt heads you know who's going to lead well guess what that's how we're going to end things but anyway i'm, I'm, I'm not going to jump ahead of myself so yeah there's only one problem the other team is being led by the superior spider-man 
Uh, when Superior Spider-Man explains they have put together some tech to hide them, hide their team from the Inheritors, he becomes irate that the other spiders have arrived, as this will surely lead the Inheritors there. Uh, I think specifically he's blaming Silk, because supposedly they have tuned into her scent or something like that. And, of course, it does. Uh, Deimos. Deimos arrives looking to kill them all. But during the fight, Superior Spider-Man appears to have actually been able to turn the tables and kills Deimos. But then another portal opens and Deimos reappears, this time with more siblings, Bora and Bricks. Uh, now, Ben Riley, Spider-Man of Earth-94, clone of that world's Peter Parker, and Kane Parker, the Scarlet Spider, clone of the 616 Peter Parker, also known as the other, believe that Deimos is somehow cl using clone technology and feel that they are probably the best people to look into it. Managing to escape through the open portal that brought the Inheritors, Ben and Kane, along with the Black Widow, I believe is, I think that's what she's referred to, of Earth-1610. That's our ultimate universe, right? 1610, yep. Yep. So, uh, uh, Black Widow of Earth 1610, Peter Parker clone named Jessica Drew, jump through to see if they can confirm their suspicions. At some point, Silk, the bride, realizes the inheritors are paying special attention to her. Using that to her advantage, she uses the teleportation technology given to her to create a portal to an unknown dimension in hopes of leading them away. Wanting to make sure she is protected, Spider-Man War and 616's Spider-Woman Jessica Drew follow her. During the chaos, Spider-Man 2099 sees that the world they are currently in is that of his home, the 2099 universe. With the help of Lady Spider, a tech-savvy lady from a steampunk-type universe, and, and Six-Armed Spidey, that's right, I remember him, they take Deimos's dead clone body away from the facility with the very much alive Deimos hot on their trail. The rest of the team head ba heads back to the Earth-13 refuge in order to regroup. However, Pete is immediately challenged, like you knew he would, by the superior Spider-Man who says now he is in charge. So there you go, that's our first two issues in a very very small nutshell number one okay what i like about this i've already talked about it earlier you know this is speaking my language uh we got alternate realities and these people converging together to, to try and fight off this one big threat yeah spider versus like if there's an alley it's going right up that alley uh it's going right up jesse starcher boulevard there you go i love seeing all the spiders kind of like gathering and talking together so it's so cool to see like Spider-Punk was probably one of my favorites coming out of this for some reason. I loved seeing, like, the uh, Billy Braddock, Spider-UK, Captain Britain Corps, right? Is that yes. what he was part of? Yeah. Right. So it was really cool just to see kind of all of them talking about where they came from and Superior, uh, superior Doc Ock, Spock, coming through with the kill on Deimos. I wasn't expecting that, but I should have known better. Deimos was definitely coming, as, coming off as a threat. I didn't know any of these characters. I didn't know who Moreland was. I didn't know who Deimos was. I didn't know about the Inheritors. I had no idea who these characters were, but you could tell as soon as Spider-Man found out that Deimos was Moreland's bigger brother, he was like, okay, we need to get the hell out of here. <laughs> he immediately oh, yeah. was like, we've got to get out of here now. Go through the portal. Uh, we got to find, we got to get away from this because if he's a, if he's the bigger brother, I don't even know what uh, we're going to get into. So I knew Deimos was a threat. Pretty easy to get, but uh, the see Spock, superior Spider-Man come through and just get him killed. I'm like, all right, you know, this is, uh, this is interesting. And then all of a sudden, Deimos just is like back. And of course, we're scratching our heads trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of all I had here. I thought it was cool that we got 
got we got Miguel O'Hara back into the 2099 universe, which was cool. You know, him realizing that he's actually home. I assume the 2099 universe just runs parallel to the 616, but it's just at a, a, a more, uh, I don't want to say advanced time, but it's further into the future. Does that sound right? They kind of play fast and loose with that, I think. Thank um, you. I was wondering the same sometimes, thing. I was like, <laughs> sometimes they say, you know, sometimes they'll say that it's definitely the future of the 616 universe, mm-hmm. and then sometimes it's really, it's, it, they leave it kind of ambiguous as to whether or not it may be an alternate future of an alternate Marvel universe. So I don't, they didn't get any closer to giving a definitive answer in this series. I know that's for sure. Well, I know that they were given the technology and I thought it was just so they could, you know, jump realities. And I didn't really, at no point did they say, hey, yeah, also you can go forward in time and back to the past. That's like, oh, well, geez, that puts a whole new spin on this. Because if that's the case, they just jumped to the future and to 2099. There's also like, there, you know, there's a couple of couple of different spiders, spider characters in this in this series, you know, are from alternate universes in very different periods of time. You know, like spider, you Spider-Man Noir. Yep. Yeah. Spider-Man Noir is, you know, somewhere in the 1950s. I think the steampunk, uh, you know, Lady Spider, who's actually Aunt May in an alternate universe, which is frigging awesome. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I love I actually love that steampunk. You that's one of my that's one of my favorite side stories in um in Spider-Verse is oh, yeah. is the is the uh, lady spider to, her uh, going up story. against the the Senate uh, the oh what was it called the men of sinistry the six or... yeah the six men of sinistry <laughs> yeah it's like sinistry is not a word you know that right? <laughs> yeah all of that is great and um yeah I think it's something like eighteen eighty something in in uh, in her timeline so you can they don't spell it out but you can interpret it as either you know the teleporters they have allow them to go forward and backward in time or maybe just it's that period of time in that universe. Yeah. It's not the same year in every single alternate universe necessarily. Uh, you can you can work that either way. I don't think it it has too much. It makes too much of a difference either way you look at it. Yeah, and I, I hate to be that guy that goes, oh hey, you know, no, I'm going to be 100 that guy a couple of times <laughs> in this. So don't worry about it. Uh, well, the other point of the 2099 thing that I was pointing out there was uh, who was it? Uh, what's his name? Stone. I can't remember. Tyler. Stone was that, his, was that his name? So Tyler Stone's like, I just sent him back to the past. You know, all of a sudden he is Miguel's back and he's like, Why in the world? So again, that kind of supports, well, okay, that seems like time travel if that's the case. But from Miguel's perception, yeah, it was time travel, but it's not, it wasn't necessarily, it may not have been. Yeah, it may have just been yeah, him crossing, yeah, just hopping universes. All right, man, you got the floor, dude. What do you think of these first two issues? What do you got to say? First of all, I am a gigantic fan of. Uh, Olivia Corpil's artwork. I am so sad that he didn't draw this entire series, but I'm glad that he drew what he did. This first issue was fantastic. The artwork is just beautiful, and he does a very good job of like differentiating all of these different spider people, making them all look unique. Even yes. though there, you know, there's a lot of common threads to how they're supposed to look. He makes each one of them pretty unique and pretty pretty good. I love his Spider Gwen. That's probably my favorite character that he draws. He draws a very good Peter Parker. Like sometimes, uh, and art, and I'm, I know you know it's just the artist in me that I'm talking a lot about art here. I'll get into. I will 
we'll get into the storytelling. Very oh, I love it, man. Immediately, like presently. But I just got to get this out of the way. Like, uh, like a lot of very good artists, I just don't warm up to when they draw Spider-Man for one reason or another. And usually the reason why is because they, they end up screwing up the eyes. Mm. I'm very particular about how my Spider-Man eyes look. Some of them, everything about how they draw Spider-Man is... I love except the eyes, and that kind of kills it for him. For me, you know, Olivia Corpella, uh, he kind of draws one of the more perfect Spider-Man all around, you know, including the eyes. Not too big, not too small, not too angular, not too round. <laughs> That's just me. <laughs> but yeah, we see like this awesome sequence at the beginning, you know, where we think it's our Peter Parker, our 616 Peter Parker. It turns out to be a completely different Peter Parker from a completely different universe that yes. happens happens to be on the moon, which is a great reveal when Morlin f- actually kills him because that's like, holy crap, what just happened? Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. that was me. <laughs> yeah, you got a sense from, like I said, from the previous couple of side stories in the previous issues that, OK, something is going on in some alternate universes to all of these spider people and then you see like Moreland shows up just ends up dispatching Peter Parker in quick fashion and it's like what just what what yeah oh then you then you kind of start picking up that um you know this is an alternate universe this is and and we get a quick introduction to you know to the inheritors who I think they needed a much more in-depth introduction for how complex their whole like lore is but I'll agree I don't think they I think they threw everybody into the deep end with this very complicated family of like quasi immortal beings. It's not until much, much later that you get just enough information about them to understand what their kind of what their deal is. Yeah. Um, and they, it borders on like too little too late. You know what I mean? The only thing you get from them at the beginning is like they're after Spider-Man and we got to root for the hero and there's something to worry about that Spider-Man has to definitely worry about. I mean, uh, and just like you said, it's set right off at the be- very beginning. And Moreland at the very beginning is the one that catches uh, Spider-Moon Man. But, you, yeah, you know, Moreland, Moreland also kills the amazing friend Spider-Man, by the way, uh, in case you're looking for somebody who, for who to be angry about, yeah. about that. <laughs> Damn it. But yeah, you know, Moreland is clearly able to easily defeat Spider-Man. So right there in that first page, how's Spider-Man going to survive this? If, if we just watch the Spider-Man get killed, clearly he he's going to be at least a match for our 616 Spider-Man. So, But that's all I get from it. I'm just like, okay, he's looking to feed off of them and he's going to different universes. We don't get really an explanation as to why, just like you said, until very, very much later. This is also where you, you know, once again, like it, it, it hurts this story if you hadn't read some of the earlier appearances because you know the first in coming home you know the in the Moreland's first appearance it's six issues but it's six issues of Moreland just kicking the living shit out of Peter Parker all across New York City and he's completely unstoppable and he's completely unmovable Mm. it's you know we we've talked about nothing can stop the juggernaut on the show before yeah it's a little bit like that only not as funny because you know Moreland is really not they it's portrayed a little bit more seriously that he's just this unstoppable force and he is out to kill him and and yeah and when you find yeah and and the difference between between him and the juggernaut is that he's actually 
immediately after Spider-Man. Juggernaut yeah. just got, was just kind of indifferent. He was just kind of walking in a straight line. Spider-Man was just happened to be in his way. Uh-huh. Morlin wants to kill and consume Spider-Man. Yeah. And he just happens to, his way of drawing him out is to just destroy everything in his path. And he, when you see what Peter ends up having to do to finally beat him, then you see, you know, Morlin made one other appearance and it was in the other. I don't remember if you get an explanation as to how the hell he came back in the other. I don't remember getting, I don't remember reading one. He just happened to be back. They explain it in Spider-Verse eventually. Yeah. How the inheritors keep coming back after they get killed. It's actually a pretty ingenious way of doing it. I wish they had explained it earlier than they did, but it works for the story that they're telling. But when you, in that first Moreland story in Coming Home, when you see how far Peter has to go to like, you know, to finally beat him and then, you know, you see him come back and then you see how far, you know, what he ended up having to do to beat him in the other and then he comes back and now he, now he's coming back with his family. Oh, yeah. And now it's like, you find out their inheritor is more dangerous than him. I know the thing that kind of sets Moreland apart is just the fact that he's actually fixated on Peter because Peter actually beat him. Mm-hmm. They make a lot of that in the in the story. His family, the inheritors actually kind of remind me a little bit of um, like the Endless in Sandman. Okay. That if you if you've ever read Sandman, like the Endless or you know their dream, you know the the Lord of Dreams, he has a family that are all these different aspects of existence, and they're portrayed as just this kind of catty bickering family of siblings that just <laughs> they kind of tolerate each other, but they don't necessarily really like each other very much. That's the vibe that I get from the inherit, and I dig it. It's it's a good dynamic. It's, you can always get some some interesting drama out of brother and sister kind of bickering. Yeah, uh, they're drama. poke they're poking each other. Yeah. And like, hey, why why don't you let me go in there? No, I don't want you to go in there. I don't want you to go to the six one six. Yeah, and- they keep yeah they keep giving Moreland a hard time because he you know they think he's afraid to face down Peter Parker you know like six one six Peter again. He yeah. says no, I'm saving him. Mm-hmm. Whether or not that's true is kind of up to your interpretation. Uh, Yep. Um, it comes to a head eventually, and it's pretty cool. I, I'd like to probably get this out of the way. I messaged you a couple of days ago, and I told you because you you said you you had very little knowledge about Silk. Yeah. And uh, I said, um, and Dan Slott, who was the completely the architect of this this whole series and where it went and where you know where it ended up tangenting and where it ended up reconverging. As far as I know, Dan Slott created Silk. He, he you know she first appeared in his Amazing Spider-Man number one. And I said, Dan Slott created Silk. He's also the person that writes her the worst because Marvel editorial in general in the past 15, 20 years has had a really, really antagonistic relationship with Spider-Man fans. Mm -hmm. I think going back to One More Day and the reasons why that came around. And I'm going to have to bite the bullet one of these days and we're going to have to cover One More Day one of these days because... Oh, man. I know I have things to say about it. I'm just not sure if I'm ready yet but we're gonna do I, I, th- I if you're down for it I think we're gonna have to do it sometime. oh absolutely absolutely I mean my goodness if there's not uh, another polarizing uh, Spider-Man story out there I'd be surprised because and it think, is and if you think it's polarizing now wait until No Way Home comes out because I have a feeling oh no I have a feeling I know oh, based no. on that trailer and what would I have a feeling I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna say about that now uh-huh. See, people listen 
listening to this in the future will be able to confirm or, or reject what I'm saying. Yeah, we're yeah, talking yeah. about this at the end of August. We don't have a damn clue what the movie is actually going <laughs> to no be. No clue. The trailer just, just the trailer. dropped two days ago. That's right. So I may be right. I may not be my, right. I may be really right. We'll see. I mean, but I have a feel. Could you imagine if they did a trailer like that just to swerve people who were pissed off about that? I don't know. I don't know, man. <laughs> that have to. That would be a lot of footage that they. Tr- that they I know, dude. I, there's no reason. Yeah, there's no reason. I, could, that they would do I don't. That. I don't know if the MC if MCU uh, is that is that antagonistic. Marvel <laughs> comics proper probably would be because they've done <laughs> shit like that before. <laughs> Dance slot in particular has a really kind of antagonistic relationship with people who with the segment of the fan base that you know one more day really rubbed it the wrong way and the fallout from one more day and just the idea and and the reasoning behind why it had to happen. And the whole Peter Parker being single so he can, you know, he can get freaky with, you know, as many different random chicks as he wants. I'll say I'm glad that Silk very quickly evolved beyond this, but it's she seemed set up very much to be that at the beginning. You know, because her whole deal is, you know, she has these involuntary pheromones that they kind of attract each each other, her and Peter specifically. Yeah, that's set up like right at right when we jump into the 616 the first issue they are trying to resist each other yeah to kind of rub it in even more they make it very clear that peter is the only one that that works with she's surrounded by spider people and not a single one of them she doesn't have that reaction to any other spider people she's around and no other spider people have that reaction to her this Mm -hmm. is specific 616 peter just it feels like a like another much more extreme point in a long line of dance slot trolling Spider-Man fans that uh, that had kind of rubbed the wrong way that Peter Parker was single and you know kind of play, kind of a player mm-hmm. in the house. And it doesn't help that Silk is not is written in a lot of the story to be really, really damn annoying and kind of the impetus for a lot of people dying and the impetus for a lot of, you know, bad decisions. Oh, yeah. She's Um, impulsive, I guess is probably the best word. Like, uh, I mean, she she gets mad and just hauls off on her own because she doesn't. I I think at the beginning when they didn't want her coming along to the they didn't know they were going to the 2099 universe. But I, I think they told her to stay back. She didn't. If I remember correctly, and she went with them, uh, you know, that brought the inheritors there. But yeah, you're right. It, it seems like she's written like she's very impulsive. The funny thing about that is so is Gwen in this story. And she's not as annoying. Uh, Gwen, Gwen was just as impul- is impulsive in the story. But she for some reason, they you know, she's written to be a lot more endearing. And that because Silk ended up having, you know, her own miniseries and her own you know series. And she's found her her audience and she's found her fans. And I'm I'm sure she was much better written in those series because she gets away from Peter Parker and is allowed to be her own character. There's not a whole lot of that in this story, no. which is really unfortunate. That's just something I wanted to I wanted to get that out of the way like early. Yeah, well, that's yeah. Gonna, I, I was going to ask you. At some it's going to come anyway. up. It's literally how this how how Spider Verse ends. Uh-huh. So I just wanted to get to, just wanted, <laughs> it and it ends on a you know we're trying not to bang joke. Yeah. So. <laughs> 
I wanted to get it out of the way early. A couple of other things about the inherit uh, Verna specifically. I like that Verna's all of Verna's hounds and her like mindless lackeys appear to be. I don't know if she took them from like the Marvel zombie universe or from some other Marvel universe where everybody's sort of the you know mindless you know uh, feral animals. Yeah. But she keeps coming out with all of these different like you know hounds and th- these different like feral versions of you know in the first issue it's Silver Sable. Uh, it's uh, Puma and, and Craven, mm-hmm. which is pretty awesome. Like I, it took me as like I, I almost missed that because you mentioned uh, Fireheart, which I'm like Fireheart. That's uh, Thomas Fireheart, who's Puma, who's Spider, yeah. who's Spider Man villain, uh, big Spider Man villain from the in the 80s. I almost missed that. Then, then she mentions Craven off. I'm like, oh, okay, I see what they're doing. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Later on, she has like an army of like of gre- like zombie green goblins. You know, like a feral rhino. She like she keeps coming back with all of these like these wacky like you know mongoloid Spider Man villains. That's yeah, and pretty great. They've all got these masks on, like you know, they just like they, you said, they're they're, they're like muzzled. Yeah, they're, yeah, like these muzzles on, like you know, because they're, they're just uh, wild animals, I guess. I didn't know much about. Verna, yeah, you know, going into this, I don't know if she's been showcased in any other uh, issues prior to this, but uh, I know of. I think I think basically every all the rest of the inheritors besides Moreland pretty much debut. show up here. Okay, when we see when we finally see Kane, and this is where we see like, oh yeah, Kane Kane's still a badass. He can still take the fight to to anybody, including you know he he kind of holds his own against uh, Deimos, who we find out in short order is one of the more dangerous of the inheritors he's this big massive dude he's you know he's as relentless as all the other ones uh something that will come up later in an earlier issue of amazing spider-man it was a side story this is something that pissed off a lot of people by the way okay damos is actually responsible for killing off the uh spider girl mayday parker uh universe or he went in there and killed off her family yeah right she escapes with her little brother Benji, who we find out later on, and you you know you'll go into this in detail. But she, he's the uh, the scion. Scion, yep. Damos is responsible for that. That pissed a lot of people off too, because Spider Girl is actually a very like a long running series out of a what if issue like a lot of what if issues end up being beloved enough that they spin off into their own long-running series this is a thing that happens a lot in the marvel universe spider girl is a little is a somewhat more recent example of that she was she took off she was i guess the spider gwen of her time like earlier like sort of in the late 90s early 2000s if i'm i may be incorrect on the date slightly but it's around that time about 20 ish years ago at the time of spider verse about 15 ish years earlier Mm-hmm. That whole RS, you know, that thing ran for like almost 100 issues. It yeah, it did. Pretty popular. You know, Slot writes her whole family getting taken out in a side story. That rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. I will. Okay, so we had that interview. We talked with Ron Friends. He, he mentioned May Day and, and some of the stuff there. And what I thought was very interesting when you look at that specific issue that they did, Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends did one of the spider. I don't know if it was a spider verse or it was one of the it was the issue that yes. focused on um, spider verse uh, team up number three. Yeah. So that was written by Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends. And if you notice, yes. I, I think they took kind of like I, I, I don't know if they were taking exception. or But did you notice that the, the she kept calling her brother Benny and throughout the rest of every single issue that we read, it is Benji except yeah. for that one. So I was like, I wonder if like in the previous uh, in the continent, 
uh, you know, in the in the issues that she was in, the main story that she was in, like you know, that her own title. If was, uh, do you know off the top of your head? I assume this brother. No idea. Okay. No idea. Well, I'm curious if uh, was, did she have the brother at that point before we get into this, or did Scion just appear probably, here? Probably. Okay. Well, I, I didn't. Just, I didn't read a whole lot of. Sp- I didn't. I don't think I read much Spider Girl when it when it came out. I I was vaguely aware of it. I knew it was a popular series. I thought it was a cool idea. Anything that gets you know Ron friends you know draw you know drawn comics is is okay with me. So <laughs> yeah. man, he also he also as also as somebody personally who hates being called Benji, like I, I get it. <laughs> I knew that Mayday and Spider Girl were a very popular series at one point. I didn't read it, but I knew that other I knew other people that did because a lot of the people that run in my circles are 90s comics uh, fans and they were talking about how much they enjoyed that. Uh, yeah, I could understand that rubbing a lot of people the wrong way uh, because, yeah, Demo showed up and she's I, I, I understand the motivation to want her because that's a, a subplot that gets kind of wrapped up in the end where she's so bent on vengeance that she she wants to kill Deimos because of what he did and then of course she doesn't I don't even think I have that written in my synopsis so I'm not spoiling I, do. I think okay. I do <laughs> <laughs> well well so we'll, we'll touch on it then but it's a good arc for her in this in this uh, in this story at some point you kind of have to sacrifice you can't just sacrifice the cannon fighter otherwise then you you know the the reader gets wise to that and is like oh well you know these characters are not going to be touched because they're too important or they're too visible at some point you kind of have to strike it comic at characters that are beloved in order to get that reaction if you overuse that it becomes cheap and kind of gross but i i understand why it was done i don't agree with it all that much either that if they were going to do something like that i feel like it probably should have been like dedicated issue to it dedicate at least an issue to it don't make it like a five page backs you know oh yeah back back of the mention which they did which that's what it was it was like the last i mean it got two-thirds of the cover of amazing spider-man uh what was it number seven or eight i think Mm -hmm. where it's a you know the cover is as you know spider girl's last stand okay but still, it, it was like at most it was half an issue. Yeah. If you're going to like basically blow up like that universe in half an issue. Eh, yeah, you're going to piss some people off. Yeah, you're gonna, you, yeah, I agree. Last thing I'll get into is, yeah, we just start seeing, you know, more of the alternate universe, Spider-Men and women. You know, we get an alternate universe, Ben Riley, which we're meant to presume. Basically, what if the clones, you know, it's another what if type of thing. What if the clone saga had ended with Ben Riley? staying Spider-Man instead of Peter eventually returning, which he did, and you know Ben Riley eventually dying, which he did, in this alternate universe. And we they, they go into a whole backstory of that in Scarlet Spiders, which, is, yep. which was important. <laughs> was. It was an important plot point. It gave tons of character information that was really deep that you find out, like, you know, eventually Ben Riley took over as Spider-Man and he kind of resolved to be what Spider-Man was originally, that, you know, they lost it was kind of meta commentary on the 90s of spider-man in the 90s that he got too dark and too broody and too much like batman and he you know which he did Mm -hmm. 
some events that happened in those comics would make anybody dark and broody, but you know, yeah, it's Spider Man. You know, you don't want to go too far into that. It's not, it's not really the tone. Yeah. And Ben Riley in this story, they go back, they make a big thing about like he's always very optimistic and he's always very cheerful and very, you know, very uh, positive. And that's that's a good approach to take with him. That's the approach that uh, they took with him in the Clone Saga. So you know, they 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 carried that on. I got to use this one. I thought I was going to get to use this a little bit more. Things got a little bit too chaotic later on in the series to really mark it down. There was a Spider-Man from Earth 7, or uh, what is it, uh, 70105 that was actually Bruce Banner. Oh, yeah, that, yeah. You know, that Bruce Banner somehow became a Spider-Man. I don't know if that's from anything in the past or if that was just made up on the spot for this scene, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was made up on the spot for the scene because what I did was after the scene was over, I went back in my notes and I underlined his name and next to it I wrote the letter CF, which stands for cannon fodder. Oh, man. Because there are some characters in this story that you just know they're going to die. Yeah. Yeah. He just know they're going to die. Some of them end up dying, you know, the first time you see him, like 1602 Spider-Man ends up dying the first, you know, ends up dead in the only panel he appears in. Uh, 1602 was the, the, you know, Victorian England's uh, Marvel story that Neil Gaiman wrote. It references both the year that it takes place and the the name of the universe that it takes place. (laughs) Nice. And there's a Spider-Man. There's a Victorian era Spider-Man. And that that series actually ends with Peter getting bitten by the spider. They made a whole spinoff series of that later on. But you see, like, you know, Victorian era Spider-Man. The only time you see him in this series is a tiny little panel where Moreland's crushing his neck. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, well, he's dead. Okay. Yeah. Spider Monkey bites it, if I remember correctly. I, I don't know if he bites He's bit it yet. He lasts yeah. a lot longer than I expected him to. <laughs> <laughs> he lasted way longer than I expected. He got he got dialogue in this in this series. Oh man. I was not expecting that. One of my favorite characters who's gonna get their moment to shine, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spoil anything, but you know, one of my favorite characters that gets their moment to shine in this whole series. I wouldn't have taken it seriously if I didn't see Spider Ham. The spectacular yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Peter Porker. The Peter Porker Spider Ham. That's right. Man, I can remember picking he's those badass in this story though. Like he is too. He really, really is. All right. Anything else before I get into the second uh, second synopsis here? You need to get into the second synopsis. (laughs) Yeah, that's all right. Well, okay. Hey, it's plug time, and you all know what that means. This would be a good time to plug the sponsor of the W2M Network, and that is Grammarly. For you, the listeners of Source Material, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W, the number two, M network to download Grammarly for free. That is going to be the end of this installment of Source Material's coverage of Spider-Verse. As far as plugs go, Benjamin J. Cologne can be found at EpicBenjaminJ on Twitter, Twitch, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. 
Make sure to keep an eye out for a sketchbook Saturday post featuring some of his amazing art. You can find Source Material on Facebook at Source Material Podcast and on Twitter at Source Cast. To put it simply, we're kind of like a book club for comics. I also do a podcast called Unspoken Issues that talks 90s comics in association with the UnspokenDecade.com. And of course, make sure to check out the Rattelich and Broadcasting Network on Facebook and Twitter to stay in the loop on all the shows coming up this week. We've got something dropping daily, so there is never a lack of content. Appreciation also goes out to W2Mnet.com for hosting the show. And with that being said, make sure to watch out for the next part of Source Materials discussion on Marvel's Spider-Verse.